Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Assembly Required, we are at part two. And Assembly Required really is a series about deepening or going deeper in our relationships. It's about building deeper relationships. Can we say deeper? Just because I've got permission to use our speak, I'm actually going to take advantage of that this morning, which is fantastic. It's a series uh, that's really about building healthy relationships because I believe healthy relationships are foundational for healthy lives. If you want a healthy life, you've got to have healthy relationships. It was God Himself who said it's not good for man to be alone. He created us to be in community. The enemy's strategy, however, is to divide and conquer. What he wants to do is ruin God's plan. He wants to come kill, steal and destroy. So whatever the plans of God ask for us, the devil wants to destroy them. So if God's plan is unity, guess what the devil wants to come and do? He wants to rob the unity and bring disunity. He wants to kill unity. He wants to destroy unity. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants you to be all alone. He wants you to be by yourself because when you're by yourself, you are vulnerable. You are vulnerable to the attacks, not only of the enemy, you are vulnerable to the attacks of others and you're also vulnerable to the attacks of yourself. That's why mental health is on the rise because the attacks that are coming are threefold. We've got the enemy, we've got others and we've got ourselves attacking us and it's robbing us of good, solid mental health and stability. So we're going to uh, turn to the Word of God right now. And I want to read a passage of Scripture that's found in the book of John, John chapter 17. And it's one of Jesus' incredible prayers. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed some 2,000 years ago. It was recorded in the Scriptures by the Apostle John. And uh, he's been praying it ever since. And in John chapter 17, verse 20, it says this, reading from the NLT, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, is praying for a group of people that we know as the disciples, but He says Himself, I'm not just praying it for these people in the room there and then, but I'm praying for it for everyone who is to come. And so at that moment, Jesus was praying for me and He was praying for you. And this is really encouraging. Please don't tell me the Bible is untrue, boring and irrelevant. Jesus was thinking of you and I all those years ago. And this is what He said, I pray that they will be as one just as you and I are one. Jesus speaking to the Father. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they will be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such, get this, perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is such a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture because it's based upon a powerful prayer. And what makes it so powerful? It's not just Jesus praying about a relationship with us and God. It's not just about us and God. It's not just a vertical prayer. It's actually a horizontal prayer. Jesus is praying about our relationships. He's not just praying about our relationship with God the Father. He's praying about our relationships one with another, that you and I would be one. All those years ago, Jesus' heart, His prayer was that you and I would go deeper in our relationships 
So deep that we and I, you and I, could be one just as we are one in Christ. And the depth of these relationships really depends upon how we respond. The question this morning is this, are we there yet? I mean, this is Jesus' desire that you and I, Tim Scott and I would be one. Are we there yet? The prayer that Jesus prayed is that my wife and I would be one. Are we there yet? This is the question we all have to ask ourselves. If we don't ask ourselves the right questions, we won't get the right answers. You see, as great as a prayer as this is, it has to be applied. Nothing great just happens. Is there anyone in this room who's ever fallen in love? Or if not fallen in love, you've started a great friendship. You met someone who you felt was so compatible. You were just like brothers from another mother, sisters from another mister, that kind of relationship. You're just, wow, we just get on so well. And it's all rosy at the beginning. And then you get to know them a bit more. And as you get to know them a bit more, you realise there's some assembly required. There's some effort that is required. There's some work that needs to be put into it. I don't remember how many of you remember this little guy here. Who knows who this is? This is Mr. Potato Head. Who had a Mr. Potato Head when they were younger and growing up? Maybe you still do because you have young kids and you bought it for your kids really for yourself because you're reliving your childhood. And, and the premise of Mr. Potato Head is that he comes just like as a plain potato, but he comes with all these accessories. And in order to put Mr. Potato Head together, some assembly is required. And obviously there are certain holes in the potato where you're meant to put certain body parts. But as you can see here, I put Mr. Potato Head together this morning. It's not because I don't know where the body parts go. I've done it this way this morning because I, I think it reflects how many people try and do relationships. They try and put what they want where they want it. And when we put things where we want them to be put and it's contrary to what God wants for us, it ends up distorting the picture that God wanted us to have. And we don't look like Mr. Bedata Head, we look like Mr. Messy. We look like Mr. Confused. We look like Mr. Bent Out of Shape. We look like Mr. Nobody Loves Me, Everybody Hates Me, I Think I'll Go and Eat Worms. And so when we try and fix what God intended for us to do, it creates problems. And when we put things in the wrong place, it creates problems. And unfortunately, we get all bent out of shape. And I think we're living in a world today where people are bent out of shape, pointing their finger at God, not understanding that He has a plan for you. And that plan for you is to prosper you. His plans to give you a hope and a future. He wants every relationship in this room today to prosper and to be healthy. That's His plan for you. And now I know we are not there yet. None of us are there yet. Why? Because some assembly is required. And sometimes you can't just start with um, building. You've got to start with dismantling. For us to change the picture of Mr. Potato Head, you've got to actually get rid of some pieces. You've got to start removing some pieces before you can start putting the right piece in the right place. You see, I can't just put uh, Mr. Potato Head's hand 
where it needs to be because there's a tongue there. And in order for the hand to go where it needs to go, you've got to remove the tongue. Sometimes we need to remove some of the things we are saying before we can actually put what we need to put into place and into practice. We need, Mr. Potato Head here needs help. And I need help. And you need help. And that's what's at the premise of this particular series. It's us getting help, but not just human secular psychology. We are here getting the help of God. We're going back to the Word of God in order to have deeper, stronger, healthier relationships. Mr. Potato Head needs help. And so do we. Amen. Here's the good news. The good news is God can help us put us back together again. Every week I preach, every time I open my mouth and share the good news of Jesus Christ, I have this joy in my heart. I have this hope in my heart that there's this good news that God can help me. He can help you. He can help this world. No matter how bad and bleak it may be, God is in the business of putting us back together again. Amen. And so last week we looked at three barriers to relational depth. And you can have a listen for that. You can watch it online. And the three points I made, the three barriers to relational depth that I made last week were number one, a self-centered life is a barrier to relational depth. Secondly, a fear-centered life is a barrier to relational depth. And thirdly, a hurt-centered life is a barrier to relational depth. And to be honest, of all the feedback I got, number three, the hurt-centered life was the one that seemed to resonate with most. And I'm so glad that that is the case because it means God is present and He's real and He's moving and He's speaking to us. And I would say, if God's speaking to us, then we need to respond to Him. Whatever He reveals, He wants to heal. He doesn't reveal to point a finger. He doesn't reveal to hurt us further. He reveals in order to heal. Amen. And so today, I'm going to get very practical and I want to touch on something that is probably the number one problem when it comes to us going deeper in our relationships and it's to do with the issue of conflict. And so today I want to look at conflict resolution. Turn to the person next to you and say, conflict resolution. See, this is what I know. You can't expect unity and depth of relationship when you're living in conflict. And I do know that there are a lot of people who are living in conflict today. And so as a result of this conflict, we'll never get the depth we desire. We desire the depth. We say yes and amen to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, but we never experience it. Why? Because we're always in conflict. Conflict with others, conflict with God, conflict with ourselves. Are you with me this morning? You see, unity is a byproduct of peace, not conflict. However, conflict is inevitable. You may have had some conflict coming to church this morning. I've been to church enough to know that coming to church is not always a bed of roses. There are times where Kath and I and the kids when they were younger, you'd be kind of having a discussion. We'll call it a discussion. And it's getting louder and it's getting more pointed and it's getting tenser. And you get out the car and someone says, hi, pastor. And you go, hi. (laughs) Who's ever done the hi? But on the inside, there's a raging (laughs) fire. There's this burning desire to sort this situation out. If that's you this morning, you're in good company. 
There wouldn't be too many people who haven't come to church at least once in the last 12 months and had conflict on the way to church. Who would have thought? Let alone when you're in the stress of dropping the kids off at school. Let alone when you're doing an exam. Let alone when there's pressure at work. Conflict is inevitable. And it's how we respond that's really important. Because if we don't respond well, we're going to slip into some dysfunctional cycles. And that's what we're seeing a lot of today. Dysfunctional cycles repeating themselves over and over and over again. And brothers and sisters, this does not have to be. Unfortunately, people today feel like they have a right to be angry. It's not only that they're angry, they think they are justified. They think they have a right to be angry. I have a right to be angry. In actual fact, today, there's a lot of talk about our rights. We have a right to be offended. We have a right to be hurt. The trouble is, when you hold on to your rights, it means you are putting yourself first. And when you put yourself first, you put peace last. The payoff on being right, more often than not, is that you lose your peace. And I learned a long time ago, being right is overrated. Peace is far greater than being right. Winning that argument at all costs isn't as great as the peace that comes from God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus spoke about what we have become to know as the Beatitudes. And I want to highlight one of those right now. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And this is what he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. For those at the back, I said peacemakers, not cheese makers. You'd have to be a Monty Python fan to understand that. doesn't matter. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. The great thing about this word peace is it means more than just tranquility, more than just the absence of war. And I don't know about you, but for some of us, that would be a win in and of itself. Just some tranquility, just the absence of war would be a win for some. But this word peace that Jesus was speaking about is the Greek word irene, and it means much, much more than just the absence of war. It means I wish you the highest level of good. I mean, this is Jesus' heart for us. He doesn't just want tranquility for us. The goal is not tranquility. The goal is not just the absence of war. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would live in the highest level of good. I don't know about you, but that is good news. The highest level of good. But again, with that comes a challenge because this kind of peace doesn't just happen. If you wanna go deeper in your relationship, this may sound deep to some of you, but you gotta dig. If you wanna go deep, you've gotta dig. I thought some of you would have been blown away with the wisdom of that. <laughs> we all want depth, but depth takes digging. And digging can be hard. I mean, it's okay when the soil is nice and soft, but sometimes the soil is not nice and soft. Sometimes it's hard and it's like clay. Yeah. Sometimes you hit a rock three foot down and you want to go deep and you're going to break through some rocks. So, so sometimes digging, just you've got to put the shovel down and you've got to get the pick out. You've got to get the excavator in or whatever. It takes effort. It takes effort. Jesus spoke about the foolish builders and the wise builders and the wise builders build on the rock. In other words, they put effort in. 
And, and, and the thing about a foundation when you're building, I don't know if any of you have ever built a home or a property, the first thing you have to do is, is put the foundation down. And if you're a new home builder, it gets really frustrating because you're gonna do what every other new home builder does. They go to their block expecting to see something exciting happening and, and you'll see holes in the ground. It's the most boring thing ever. It's the most disappointing thing ever. I left work early to come and see this. And that stage seems to go on and on and on. Week after week, they're just digging holes. They're digging trenches. And then you see the cement truck come up and oh, wow, this is fantastic. And cement gets poured in. And then, wow, things are really on the move now. Then it just sits there for a while. It's like so frustrating. And you've got nothing to show for all your work and all your effort and all the money you've saved. But those foundations are pivotal to the future build. It takes time and it takes effort and it's costly. If you skimp on the concrete, if you skimp on the concrete, it may, you may save some money, but eventually because of a shallow foundation, when pressure is applied, when the rest of the building takes place, the cracks are gonna begin to appear. And I feel like there are many relationships that don't have a depth of foundation. So when the pressure's applied, when the pressure's applied, the cracks appear. And that's why the best way to go into a relationship is to do single well. Tonight, we're gonna to have a panel. We're gonna have a single, we're gonna have a newly married couple, we're gonna have a, a, a single divorced person and we're gonna ask questions because some people think it's all right for you, Tony, because you're married. That brings pressure. I, I love being married, don't get me wrong, but being married brings pressure. If you're trying to escape the pressure of singleness, thinking that marriage is the answer, all the married people said, <laughs> I love it. It doesn't remove pressure, it just changes the pressure. It's different pressure. See, in every stage of life, we have to pick up our cross. In every phase of life, we have pressure to face. So if you're single, just hoping, that oh, I just wanna get married, I just wanna get married. You're wasting your singleness, wishing away your singleness that you were married. I would say, do single well. Because if you do single well, you'll set yourself up to do relationship well. Are you following me this morning? So the pressure never ceases. The pressure never ends. I know young church plans said, if I only had a few more people, a few more people equals a few more problems. If I only had a few more dollars, well, a few more dollars equals a few more bills. There's always pressure in every season, in every stage. And so if we don't have a good foundation and the foundation is what's unseen. And that's why Instagram is so unhelpful because that's all the seen world. And we have play happy families, but on the inside, there's problems. And so I'd say, I'm not against good, fancy Instagram accounts. You can use your filters and all that. I'm not against any of that, as long as the foundation is strong and healthy. Because shallow foundations produce cracks eventually. I heard it said once that the secret of a great relationship is not who you discover, but it's who you become. It's not who you discover, it's who you become. Going back to what Jesus said, he said this, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. This is a big one. There's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And I think if we're honest, most of us in this room, most people I come in contact with are peacekeepers. They just wanna keep the peace. But peacekeepers often avoid conflict in order to keep the peace. 
In order to keep the peace, they avoid conflict. The trouble is conflict is inevitable. Unless you deal with the conflict, you'll never get the peace you desire. And so it's a vicious circle. We work around the issue and not through it. We, we may make a truce. We may uh, uh, agree to disagree. But if it's not talked through, what's going to happen months later in your relationship, something's going to set you off. Have you ever been with someone all of a sudden they just lose it? And all of a sudden all this stuff comes up. And you're, Where did that come from? And it's usually a moment that we call the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's usually not that moment that's a problem. It's usually all the other moments that we've been undealt with that are the problem. And then we just get to a breaking point. It's like death by a thousand cuts. And if we don't get healed along the way, if we don't deal with those things along the way, we're going to eventually explode. And we're going to say, where did that come from? And where that came from is all the dozens and dozens and dozens of unresolved issues in our lives. Peacekeeping does not bring peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers and peacemakers embrace conflict to make peace. This is gonna test some of you. Some of you with the personalities, some of you who are Enneagram 8s, you're gonna say, bring it on, I'm okay with that. But some of you Enneagram 9s, you're gonna struggle with this. But it's okay, it's the same truth for any number. It's the same truth for any personality. We can't hide behind our personality. We've gotta let God redeem us, including our personality. Are you with me? So peacemakers embrace conflict in order to make peace. In other words, they work through the issue, never around it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. There's a thought some of you might want to write down. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, get this, as much as it, or as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as it's up to you. Conflict isn't being a control freak. It's not making people. It's actually doing the best you can with what you have. And so this morning, in my remaining time, I wanna just highlight three things that we can do practically to bring conflict resolution. To bring resolution to our conflict. Does that sound helpful? And the first one is simply this. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. That's the goal, to become more like Christ. Not to be right, but to become more and more like Christ. That's the goal for Christians. At least it should be, to be more and more like Christ. See, communication, and you'll hear this, even in the secular world, you'll hear this everywhere. Communication is crucial to any relationship. If you wanna go deeper in your relationship, communication is crucial. But I would say this, good, clear communication needs to be done right. Say done right. Because it's not only got to be done, but it's got to be done right. And I feel like this is where God often gets a bad rap because we sometimes do what He says we should do, but we do it wrong. We do it our way. And then we say, I tried that. No, it needs to be done right. Good, clear communication in order to bring resolution to our conflict needs to be done right. What do I mean by that? It needs to be the right conversation. It says you gotta be based on truth. It's gotta be based on truth. In other words, we attack the issue, not the person. We attack the do, not the who. I'm a husband 
I'm a boss, I'm a dad, I'm a friend. You can't have that level of relationships without having conflict. And for me, when I'm addressing a staff member, when I'm addressing a family member, when I'm addressing a friend, I wanna, I wanna put aside the personality, I wanna put aside the person and look at what they did. And one of the greatest joys and responsibilities and privileges of being a parent is being able to shape a young person's life and, 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 and not let them get away with what they've been doing, but let them know that they are being loved the whole time. And it's a skill that can only truly be found in Christ. And, and I, I love the privilege that we've had of raising kids, but it's gotta be based upon the right conversation. And in order for the right conversation, you've got to do a little bit of soul searching to make sure that your heart is first pure. That's why last week's message about living a hurt-centered life is so important. If we've got all these hurts, we're never going to get to the root issue of what's really going on. And so a good question to ask to make sure that you're in the right conversation is, why did I respond like that? When they said that, why did I feel that way? Because sometimes we might be reacting to the way they made you feel when they didn't actually do anything wrong. So we've got to be in the right conversation. Secondly, we've just got to be with the right person. Right conversation with the right person. What I've learned to be true is this. Most people have the right conversation. They just have it with the wrong person. And the Bible tells us very clearly in Matthew 18 who the right person is. The person is the one you have the issue with. What we tend to do in Western society is tell everyone but the person we have the issue with. Matthew 18 says, if you have something against the brother, go to them. If you have something against the sister, go to them. He says, if they're not listening, in order to win them over, then you might want to involve a key person. And after that, it may involve the church. But essentially, I think 90% of all our problems can be solved if we just went to the right person. Instead of talking to everyone else. Or worse still, we put it on social media. And everyone buys into it and everyone rips into it. It's just, it gets crazy. So it's got to be the right conversation with the right person at the right time. Never do this when you are angry. The Bible says, tell the truth in love, not yell the truth in love. If you find yourself yelling, stop. This, this, is, this, is, this is my go-to. When I find myself yelling, I, Tony, stop. Because I'm no longer doing what Jesus told me to do because he never said yell the truth. He said tell the truth. So if I'm yelling, I'm doing part of what he's asking, but not, I'm not doing it right. So don't yell the truth in love. So I would say, don't do it when you're angry, but also don't do it when it's inconvenient. Don't have the deep, meaningful conversation you need to on the way to work, or when you're just about to drop your kids off to school. It needs to be the right time and in the right place. So if you've got something brewing in you, don't just blurt on the way to work. Don't just blurt dropping your kids off to school. Sit at the right time. If someone's a morning, not a morning person, don't speak to them about something that's really important in the morning. If someone's not a late night person, don't speak to them about something deep at night because you're going to create a problem. You're going to say, you're not even listening to me. Say, like, oh, I'm tired. We're going to create the problem because we haven't learned people's strengths, weaknesses, ebbs and flows and timings. Got really quiet in here. Yeah. Is this helpful? Yeah. And the last thing I'd say is it's got to be the right spirit. She said it's got to be in love. In other words, don't fight each other, fight for resolution. That's mine and Cass' go to line. I'm not fighting you, we're fighting for resolution. Sometimes it's revolution, but anyway. Can I say this? Healthy relationships fight fair. 
So fight fair. Unhealthy relationships fight for personal victory. And we need to redefine winning an argument as becoming closer. That's where Kath and I have tried to land every conversation we have in our marriage. It's not about winning. It's not about losing. It's not about right. It's not about wrong. It's about getting closer. I want to be closer to her. And over 30 years of being married, I've got closer to her. But there's more closeness yet to come. And in my relationships with my family and with my friends, I, I want to get closer. And I'm going to risk whatever we've got in play in order to go deeper. Don't settle for the level of shallowness. Don't level, settle for the level of depth you have in your relationship. This is about going deeper. And to go deeper, you're going to have to risk what you already have. Don't settle for what you already have. Let's take it deeper. Amen? Amen. Secondly, second point is this. We're talking about conflict resolution. We're talking about finding peace. And that is apologise when you're wrong. Not deep, but really deep. Failure is part of the journey. Let's be honest. We all let someone down from time to time. Everyone's got a, don't let me down story, but come on, if we're honest, if we're honest, we've all got a, I let someone down story. Haven't we? I know I have. I've got hundreds of them. I've got hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. And I've learned that it's part of the journey. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, when this happens, because it does, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. In other words, we need to admit specific actions without excuses. Why? So that you may be healed. So that the relationship may be healed. Because there's a big difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is words without ownership. Remorse is, I'm sorry I got caught. Jesus is so inconvenient. I was making a lot of money with that little side racket and now I got caught. Really sorry about that. Man, I'm so, my bank balance is sorry. That's remorse. It's sorry, but without ownership. Repentance is words with ownership. And repentance is, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? See, I'm sorry is for mistakes. But will you forgive me is for your sin. There's two different things. I'm sorry I left the toilet seat up. That's not a sin. It's a mistake. I forgot. I'm sorry. Any men out there who know what I'm talking about? You guys, leave me all alone here. I'm sorry. But will you forgive me? It's deeper. It's will you forgive me for deceiving you? Will you forgive me for hurting you? It is different. Mistakes um, are one thing. Sin is another. I've told my Bondi story many times. So I'm not going to repeat it. But it was me in a bad moment. And I did something that I'm not proud of. But it's how it scared my kids that really got to me. It scared my wife. It annoyed my wife. But it terrified my two kids. BJ was a baby, but for Jordan and Mitch, it terrified them. I could see the fear in their eyes were just me, out of control, angry. Certainly not my proudest moment. And I talk about my Bondi moment as if it's the only time I've ever done it. It's probably the only one I'm game to admit. 
but something brilliant came out of that day and I'm so grateful to God that he never leaves me and he never forsakes me because he turned around what was a horrible start and made an incredible end of the day. And I'll never forget just following the Bible's lead. And that was calling my two kids to myself, getting on my knees, looking them in the eye. And I said, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And then I felt this God drop. I said to them, I want you to know this is not mum's fault. This is not the church's fault. And I want you to know this is not your fault. In other words, you kids didn't make me like this. The church didn't make me like this. That woman God gave me didn't make me like this. I said, this is all on me. I'm that good at being that bad. I said, will you forgive me? They looked at me. And God just turned it around. Took my sin, my foolishness, my anger, my stupidity, my tiredness, my madness. And by approach, uh, applying a biblical principle, turned it around. God's in the business of turning things around. If we will do it right, if we'll do it His way, if we'll own our mistakes. And guess what happened? Healing came to the relationship. Not only to our relationship, but I've told this story many, many times in many different parts of the world. And it's always brought an aha moment. And I trust and pray that wherever you are in your relationships, if you need to do something like that, do it for the sake of the relationship. Which brings me to my third and final point. It's this, forgive and let go. Forgive and let go. And when I say forgive, I know forgiveness is never easy. I, to this day, I don't find it easy to forgive. But it is powerful. It's never easy, but it's always powerful. You see, forgiveness sets you free from past hurts and past disappointments. If I said to you, who wants to be free from your past hurts? Who wants to be free from past disappointments? I imagine every hand would go up. Well, the Bible has a way. And that way is His way. And His way is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. You might not like it, but remember, if you do your own thing long enough, you're gonna look like this guy. It's not pretty, it's not attractive. You've gotta start making the adjustment, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. I don't know why the hand comes out of the shoulder. I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Uh, the arm comes out. I don't know, but because you have said. I'm just going to put it there. I don't know why you've ordained forgiveness, but I'm going to do what you've ordained. And pretty soon, slowly but surely, things start changing. And when we start saying, because you have asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. And things, little by little, slowly but surely, begin to take shape. Does that look a little bit better? Does that a little, look a little bit more accurate? Why? Because I'm having my way? No, because the creator, the designer of Mr. Potatohead, said it should be. I'm just following his lead. And if Mr. Potato Head can do it, so can you. What I will say about forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation. I want you to get this. This is a big one. 
Because some of you said, I tried to do that, doesn't work. No, 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 no. That's not what forgiveness is for. Forgiveness is not for reconciliation. That takes two people. You can't bring reconciliation all by yourself. That takes two people. See, some of you are like, if I do this, Lord, this better end okay. There's no guarantees of that. Because God in His wisdom ordained free will. And if someone says, I won't forgive you, you'll never have reconciliation. But you will have freedom for you. Forgiveness is about freedom. What will come, 100% guarantee, what will come is your freedom. And if someone reciprocates, they get freedom. And where there are two free people, reconciliation can take place. But it starts with freedom. So it starts with forgiveness. And so for those of you who are in a loveless marriage or a divorce situation, you're trying hard. You're not God. Don't try and be God. Don't give up. Just keep a forgiven heart. Because forgiveness only takes one. Which means no matter how deep your pain is, you can choose to forgive. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what they put on social media, you can live forgiven and you can live free even if for the rest of their life they become your thorn in your flesh. That's what Paul spoke about. Three times I pleaded to God that this thorn in my flesh would be removed and yet it never was removed to our knowledge. And he said, but by your grace, Paul's revelation was not the removal of the thorn, it was the presence of grace. Because with the presence of grace, you live in forgiveness, you live in freedom and that's power. And Paul went on to do many, many great things that people who had issues with him never did. People say to me, hey, if that's true, Tony, why have you this and that? Because that's out of my control. How people respond to my advance when it comes to forgiveness is out of my control. And if I force them to make them forgive me, that's wrong. And I think some of us, maybe if we're honest, are a little bit guilty of that. So let's live forgiven. Here's the question, how do you do that? Because it's not easy. Well, can I tell you how I do it and how I don't do it? Can I tell you when I'm at my best and when I'm at my worst? When I'm at my worst is when I'm focusing on what they did and what they said. Every time I focus on them and they and how come and why and who do they think they are, I can't believe it. I always lose my peace, always. When my focus is on someone who's offended me, when my focus is on someone and what they did to me, when my focus is on someone and what they said to me, I always lose my peace. See, being married isn't the answer. Being a pastor is not the answer. It's daily dealing with God, going deeper day after day after day. It's applying the Word of God day after day after day after day after day. And when you've done it all that time, you do it the next day. Then you get up, you do it the next day. Then you do it up, you do it the next day. Then you get up, you do it the next day. And the next day someone offends you, all that doesn't mean anything. You've got to forgive again. This doesn't accumulate. You just got to keep doing it. It's not like I've forgiven a hundred times. How many times do I have to do it? Another one. Unless you want to lose your peace, it's up to you. But if you lose your peace, you'll lose your depth of relationship and ultimately you'll lose the relationship. And so what we need to do is focus not on the actions of others, but focus on Jesus. Focus on Him. The Bible says, confess your sins and forgive others as Christ 
forgave you. Where's the focus? On Christ. When am I my best? When am I my most forgiving? When am I my most peaceful? It's always when the focus is on Him. But when it's not, it's terrible. And when it is, it's terrific. And there's nothing in between. Why is mental health on the increase? Because we live so bitter, so twisted. We live in a rights world. I deserve the right. We don't have rights. Not as Christians, we surrender. We surrender. We surrender and we pick up our cross. See, people say rights and fair. It's not fair. Are you telling me as a single guy, it's okay for you, you can have sex on a stick as a married person, but as a single guy, you're telling me, according to the Scripture, I can't have sex outside of marriage. I'm not telling you anything. I'm telling you God has a way. And in your singleness, that's your cross. But to think when you get married, there's no cross? Are you kidding me? You have to pick up another cross. Whatever phase, whatever season in life you are, there's a cross. There's a cross. And I don't not sleep around because I'm not allowed to. It's because it hurts the relationship I'm trying to build deeper. Because God has a way and there's a plan. Whatever phase, whatever stage you're in. Oh, I'm a woman in a man's world. That might be a cross. Maybe you're in a married relationship that's not... That's not healthy. That's your cross. Whatever it is, there's a cross. And the question is, will you pick it up and follow Him? Because Jesus set the standard. He set the way. And He started by forgiving us. But that doesn't mean every person is a Christian. That doesn't mean there's been reconciliation had by everyone because that takes two. But I'm so grateful that Jesus took the lead in my life and I responded and I find freedom in Christ. And that can be your freedom in this place this morning. I'm gonna ask you to do something very quickly. We're all but out of time. Will you stand to your feet? Because I realise this, this is so raw for some. And I don't want you to run. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to give in. I want you to do the work. I want you to dig this week. I'm believing that our relationships will go deeper. Our relationship, if you're a Christian in this place, I'm believing that your relationship with Jesus will go deeper as you let Him in more, as you do the digging. But not only that, my prayer is the same prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, that our relationships one to another would go deeper. In this season of isolation, in this season where people are reluctant to come back to church, they reckon only 30% of people are returning back to church in America. Brothers and sisters, that should not be. But in this, we combat it by going deeper. I'm believing that we can have deeper, stronger, healthier relationships in spite of the culture in which we live. For those of you joining us online, you're always welcome. But I would say whenever you can, get into the building, get to the building. Whenever you can be part of a community like this, embrace that opportunity. Don't allow the ease of sitting at home. Now I know there are some who are sick. I know there are some who live far away. I know and I thank God that that's a platform for you. But for those who've just used it as a platform of ease, come on, brothers, sisters, let's, let's dig deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's not allow this platform to rob us of the health of relationship that God intended us to have. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. 
you always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.